Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is a Thursday broadcast, and so glad that you're joining us today. And today's broadcast is a two-part broadcast, so I hope that you not only join me today, but you'll also tune in tomorrow at the same time and on the same fine radio station, and I appreciate you so much tuning in today. I'm going to talk to you over the next two days on Kairos Moments, Kairos Moments, and you may not have even heard of that word Kairos before, and I was uh, acquainted with this word because, as you know, I'm the chaplain at Indian Creek Correctional Center, and uh, we have a wonderful ministry there. And we are reaching out to the men there who are incarcerated. And I thank the Lord for over 20 years I've been involved with uh, the lives of the men at Indian Creek Correctional Center. And and not only the inmates, but also the staff at Indian Creek. And there's this ministry that comes in and they go throughout the prisons, not only uh, in Virginia, but all throughout the United States. And they do a, a ministry called Kairos. And so I was really intrigued by this ministry, and they spend a weekend in the prison, and uh, their purpose is to awaken the men to a moment and realizing that God has got them at this moment for a particular time. So that word kairos, it actually means the right, critical, or opportune moment. And in some translations, it actually means like the weather, right? The weather changes, and as a result of the weather changing, you got to make some changes, right? And uh, like today was cold, and and, uh, I went out to get into my van this morning, and I said, oh man, I didn't realize it was so cold this morning, and I went back in and grabbed the jacket. So I made adjustments because of the weather. Well, a Kairos moment is when you have something happening in in that moment of time in your life, and it's really actually one of two words. It's actually an ancient Greek word, and it means that in this particular time, uh, in this chronology of time, in this sequence of time, something has happened, and so you're going to do something in response to what has happened. And this happens all the time. And as I was coming over here to record the broadcast, somehow I picked up something in my uh, in my van on the side of my tire, and the light started flashing, showing I had a tire that was low, and it was going down pretty quickly. Uh, so thankfully, I was able to get it over to get another tire to replace it because it was on the sidewall. And so that was a Kairos moment, right? Uh, I didn't plan on going to Firestone. I didn't plan on having to buy a new tire, but because of moments that happened, it changed what I planned to do. So I want to look at a Kairos moment through the lens of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a fascinating book. It's the eighth book of the Old Testament, and uh, it's a short book, only four chapters. So it is one of the shorter books within our Bible, but the book of Ruth, and it flows with a very short narrative And it's written during the times of the judges. And as you know from Old Testament history, that God raised up judges, and the job of the judges were basically to be like governmental officials to make sure that they were living according to God's word. And as a result of the book of Judges, oftentimes the people won't listen to the command of the judges and God had prophets, and and they would not often listen to them. And because of their refusal to listen to the judges, there was a famine in the land. So there's an Israelite family from Bethlehem, and this is the the background of the book of Ruth. And uh, there's this guy by the name of Elimelech, and Elimelech is married to Naomi, and they have two sons, Malon and Chilion. And they move to a nearby Moabite country because there is a famine in the land. And they go into this new land, and their two sons marry Moabite women. Okay, now this wasn't God's ideal plan for them, but it happened, okay? And uh, the great thing I love about God's word, it records what really happens, okay? 
and not really what we think should happen, but what actually happens. So as the story unfolds, we discover that these two sons die. First, the father dies, the husband dies, Olympic dies, and then his two sons die, leaving Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha. So as we look at the title of this book, uh, it's named Ruth. That is an interesting word. The name Ruth means friendship or association. Great name, right? I have an aunt whose name is Ruth, and my sister's middle name is Ruth. And so that name means friendship or association. So the book of Ruth was probably written by Samuel. The exact time that it was written is uncertain, but we learned that it's a short book, only 85 verses, 2,578 verses. I want to make some general observations about Ruth, and then I want to go ahead and share some some moments within the life of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a love story. It's filled with devotion and redemption, and uh, as I said earlier, it's set in the days of the judges. So basically, it's a story of a Moabite woman who forsakes her pagan heritage in order to cling to the people of Israel and the God of Israel. And because of her faithfulness, uh, she blesses her nation. You see, God rewards her by giving her a new husband, a husband by the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz was the son of Obed, and, and he had privileges in his position, and he's actually found in the lineage of David and of Christ. As a matter of fact, Ruth is the great-grandmother of David. So Boaz brings a Moabite woman into the family line of David and eventually in the line of Christ. We discover in chapter 3 that Ruth was a virtuous woman. She demonstrated her love for her mother-in-law, and she demonstrated her love for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We discover that she is bought out, she is redeemed, and, and I love that word Boaz, right? It means one who is a kinsman redeemer, one who redeems. And that little phrase, kinsman redeemer, or the one who redeems, appears 13 times in the book of Ruth. And so as we look at this fascinating book, we're going to see some moments that God gives to Ruth and gives to Boaz, these moments that we are calling Kairos moments. Well, I could go on and on uh, talking about the various characters uh, in this book, this fascinating book. For example, Naomi, her name means pleasant. And then Orpha, her name is stubborn, right? Orpha is the one that decided to stay in Moab, then go with Ruth and Naomi. And then we discover that as a result of what happened to Naomi, losing her husband, losing her two sons, she changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. But then she has a family member by the name of Boaz, and Boaz means in his strength or in the strength of God. So lots of good things that we learn about this particular book of Ruth and that we discover in the beginning of the book that Ruth actually makes a vow. And and I love this vow because oftentimes in weddings, we will use this phrase, Ruth 1, 16 and 17, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people should be my people, and your God should be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, don't you love that? Uh, That's what we would say of a husband and wife. But this was actually what was said 
to Ruth and to her mother-in-law. So we're talking about Kairos moments. These are special moments in our lives where God steps into time and he wants us to make a decision for him. Let's look at what the Bible talks about, this fullness of time, because that's what a Kairos moment is. You see, in Galatians chapter 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. I want you to know I've got some really good news for you today. At the fullness of time, that was a Kairos moment for God. God sent his son at a particular time in history who was born under the law. That is, he took the curse of sin so that he could redeem us, so that we could have a special Kairos moment. You see, Kairos moments are not manipulations, but they're movements fulfilled by God. A Kairos moment uh, happens as we see Ruth being married to Malon, as we see Orpha being married to Kilion. We see Naomi being married to Elimelech. Listen, if you're married, you had a Kairos moment, that time where you married your spouse. It is a time that has changed your life for better, for worse, right? But it was a Kairos moment. You see, so many times we think that life is circular. And we think we go from one event to the next event and it kind of goes around and comes around, right? But really how God works is he works on a line, more linear. And at particular moments in our lives, he shows up and he has those moments for us. You see, God's time is not a time of circular time. It's moving toward a particular purpose and it's linear, moving toward a destination, So there are four Kairos moments that I'm calling them in the book of Ruth. Let me give you these four all together. We'll look at two of them today, and then we'll look at the other two tomorrow. In chapter number one, we see that Ruth has got to make a decision. So this Kairos moment is a moment of making a decision. Chapter number two, there's a serving moment where Ruth has to decide how she's going to serve, where she's going to serve, if she's going to serve. Chapter number three is a resting moment. You know, God even incorporates rest into us. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and they were talking about a friend of theirs that worked so hard and would never take any breaks, would not take any time off, didn't believe in going on vacations, didn't believe on taking a day off during the week. And as a result, this person got sick. And so as they were talking to one another, this person who got sick says, you know, maybe God is making me rest because I refused to rest. So God slowed me down, allowed me to be sick so that I would rest in him. Oh, those are Kairos moments, aren't they? And number four, there's rewarding moments. These are the moments in our lives where God says, I want to acknowledge what you're doing and I want to give you a reward. Well, let's look at these one at a time. We'll look at the first two today and then the second two tomorrow. Number one, The Kairos moment of a decision being made. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, went 
to live for a while in the country of Moab. And we see here, something has happened. This family is moving because of a famine. They're making a decision. They're going to Moab. Now, I want you to know that even when we make poor choices, God can turn those choices into good. And we discover that as they're in this particular situation, that Elimelech dies, the two sons die, leaving behind a mother and her two daughter-in-laws. The mother decides, I need to go back to my homeland. I need to go back to Bethlehem and Judea. She is heading on back. She tells her two daughter-in-laws, now listen, you can stay here. I'm going to head on back, but you should stay here because you are a Moabite. This is your homeland. I'm going back to my homeland. You should stay here. But Ruth said, verse number 16, chapter number one, entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth is making this change in her life. She realizes she can't stay in Moab. She cannot be serving alongside those who are worshiping a false god. The Moabites were notorious, not only for worshiping a false god, but they were also notorious for offering their babies up as sacrifice. Ruth says, I've got to get out of this area. Although these are my people, I cannot live like my people are living. So she decides to come out of that lifestyle and move on with her mother-in-law. Now, maybe you're listening to my message today, and you are at a deciding moment. Maybe there's a struggle in your life, and God is opening up a door for you to walk through. You know, my life verse talks about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God always provides a way of escape. When the temptation becomes too great, when the trials become too great, God always gives us a way of escape. I'm thinking about our world today and the struggles that our world has. We're living in a day and age where where we're afraid to tackle certain things. It's almost like we think that certain sins are kind of off God's ability to bring about healing. I was reading about a young man who was struggling with homosexuality, but he found hope in Christ. He actually wrote a book, and this is a piece of the book that I wanted to share with you today. This man wrote a book called Washed and Waiting. His name is Wesley Hill, and he shares about his struggle with same-sex attraction and his desire to obey Christ and to live a life of celibacy. He writes about a time when he left the world that was caving in around him. He said he was living in Minneapolis for a few months, and he felt burdened physically so at times, by loneliness, confusion, and fear. But he says, during a visit, a very brief visit to Wheaton, Illinois, he says, I arranged to meet with my good friend, Chris. And on that cold winter afternoon, I told him how I was feeling, and I asked for his help. He says, out of all the things Chris said to me in response to that day, one sticks out. With compassion in his voice, he said, imagine yourself. Standing in the presence of God, looking down from heaven on the earthly life that you've about to be born into. And God says to you, Wes, I'm going to send you into the world for 60 or 70 or 80 years. It will be very hard. In fact, it will be more painful, more confusing, 
and more distressing than you can ever imagine. You will have a thorn in your flesh, a homosexual orientation that is a result of your entering into a world that is filled with sin, filled with death, a world that is broken, and you will have to wrestle with it all your life. But I will be with you. I will be watching every step that you take, guarding you by my Spirit, supplying you with grace sufficient for each day. And at the end of your journey, you will see my face again. And the joy we share will be born out of the agonies of your faithfully enduring by the power I gave you. And no one will take that joy away from you. Wesley, Chris said, looking me in the eyes, would you say yes to the journey if you had had that conversation with God? Wesley nodded. But you have had it. In a sense, God is the author of your story. He is watching, supplying you with his spirit moment by moment. And he will raise your body from the dead to live with him and all the great company of the redeemed forever. Can you keep walking the lonely road? If you remember, he's looking on and delights to help you persevere. Wesley Hill comments, your struggle isn't mindless. It's not unobserved. It's not a string of random disappointments. I heard Chris say, it will be worth it. The joy will be worth the struggle. In the end, I think that is how I'm learning to live faithfully as a celibate person who struggles with same-sex attraction. You may be carrying a burden, and the moment God is speaking to you is right now. He wants you to realize that He's going to be with you every step of the way. Ruth has this Kairos moment, which she says, I've got to leave the Moabites, and I've got to go, and I've got to be with God's people. It's going to be hard leaving my people, but I must do it. There may be times that I experience loneliness, but I must do it. You know, when I think about the right moments of life, there's often a right moment to even share the gospel with people. David Brainer was a great missionary to the American Indians. On one occasion, he was witnessing to a chief who was very close to deciding for Christ, but he held back. There was some pause or, or some hesitation. David Brainer got up and he took a stick and he drew a big circle in the soft earth all around the chief, and he said, Decide before you cross that line. Why this passion? Why this urgency? Because David Brainerd recognized that at that moment, the chief was close to God. If he missed that moment, he might never be so close again. You see, following God and His will is difficult. But at these deciding moments, we have a choice. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. We are told as Joshua of old told his family, as for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. That was a deciding moment because the pressure was on Joshua to compromise his faith. At that moment, he decided, I'm not going to compromise. Our God is the God of all creation. Our God is the God that brings about salvation. And so he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there's Kairos moments and those deciding moments. And Ruth decided that she would go along with Naomi and that she would adopt the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's another Kairos moment that we see in Ruth chapter 2. And these are what I would call 
serving moments. Uh, let's look at Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 5, and then we'll look at verses 8 and 10. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me pick up the leftover grain that is left behind, and I will do it so that I will gain favor. Let's drop down to verse number 5. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, who was this young woman who was taking that grain from his field? Dropping down to verses 8 through 10. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the jars that the men have filled up. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Here we see Ruth is serving, and she's serving and gleaning in the field. And she's doing this to provide for Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she's doing it to take care of the needs that she has. She is serving. It is a serving moment for her, and it's an open door that God has given to her. And as a result of this service moment, God puts her in connection with a man by the name of Boaz. Now, Ruth didn't know it at that moment, but Boaz was actually related to her mother-in-law on her husband's side. God was using this serving moment to put Ruth at the right place at the right time. Now, I think about service, and I think about moving and being obedient to God as He causes us to serve. You know, it's easier for God to use us as we are serving Him and direct us than when we're just standing still. God puts us in position of favor with people when we are willing to serve Him, to follow what He has led us to do. And oftentimes, God does that through people, and He guides and directs our lives. What would have happened if Ruth would have said, you know what, I don't really want to go over there because I don't know those people, and and I don't want to go and get out of my comfort zone, and, and I don't want to be a servant. I want somebody else to take care of my needs. She would have missed the opportunity to be connected with her kinsman redeemer, a guy by the name of Boaz. Listen, God opens up opportunities for every single day. Are we taking advantage of these opportunities to be a servant of the Lord? You know, sometimes in our our times of grief, God will show up as we serve him. You know, I told you about one missionary. Let me tell you about another missionary, a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor lost his wife and lost a child when he was serving in China. Two weeks after Maria, husband's wife, gave birth to a baby that died. In that time of struggling, uh, there was very little strength. Hudson went to her and says, now, darling, uh, you don't have to keep going. You know that you're dying. Dying? Do you think so? What makes you think so, she said. I can see it, darling. Your, your strength is giving away. I can't be. I, I feel no pain. I only feel weariness. Are you going home soon? Soon you will be with Jesus. There was this moment. Then Maria whispered a prayer and says, I'm so sorry. Hudson looked at his wife and gently said, You are not sorry to go to be with Jesus. Oh, oh, oh no, that's not it, she said but it does grieve me to leave you, to leave you alone at such a time as this. Yet he will be with you and meet all of your needs. A missionary who stood nearby later said, 
I, I never witnessed such a beautiful scene as there Mrs. Taylor was breathing her last. Mr. Taylor knelt down and committed her to the Lord, thanking him for giving her to him and for the 12 and a half years of happiness that they experienced together. You know, a few days later, Mr. Taylor wrote this. I cannot describe to you my feelings. I don't understand them myself. I feel like a person stunned with a blow or recovering from a faint and as yet but partially conscious. My father has ordered it, so therefore I know it is. It must be best, and I thank him for so ordering it. I feel utterly crushed. Oftentimes my heart is nigh a breaking, but withal, I had almost said I never knew what peace and happiness were before. So much have I enjoyed in this very sorrow. In the midst of Ruth's sorrow, she was serving, and God was setting things up for her to meet her kinsman redeemer. Listen, keep serving. Don't give up. I know you may feel sometimes that your efforts are in vain, but God will reward you. You have that Kairos moment coming your way. Hang in there. God will reward you at just the right time. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.